but about two years ago, I was raped. There's a lot of anger. We're not being manly enough. There are two ideas about safe spaces. My understanding of the world changed. And I felt numb. Are you a man or a mouse? I was alone. I couldn't bring myself to say it. I was lost. All I wanted was to be able to share my experience, what was happening to me with someone. Hey, everyone, and welcome once again to Safe Places and Spaces for Men. Hey, this is your male survivor, resiliency and leadership development coach, Thomas Edward, coming to you once again from Sacramento, California. All right. So we're starting to get to that point once again in the year. Of course, this is April, and that means that the temperature soon will get ready to flip. So, of course, it was I think it was like 75 uh, here yesterday. So now we're starting to stay in the 70s. Usually what happens around here for some reason, I don't know, like if it's like magic, (laughs) it's like May comes and boom, that's it. Then the heat just starts. So it's not like anything gradual. And so I was outside, you know, yesterday, just sitting in the back of my my little herbal medicinal garden uh, back there and, you know, planting stuff and just sitting in the sun. And I'm just like, ooh, it's starting to get a little bit hot now. Now, you know, having lived, of course, in Seattle all those years, I'm acclimated to the, you know, cooler nice cloudy weather but uh, I'm also starting to notice that maybe I'm starting to acclimate a little bit more to (laughs) Sacramento because now I'm like okay where's the heat where's where's the sun so uh, uh, it's very very interesting hey so on today we're going to talk a little bit and first of all I want to thank you guys for those that are you know sending questions and stuff and uh, those that are listening to the podcast you know when you let me know that you're listening to the podcast that it encourages me to continue to create podcasts. You know, I'm thinking like, okay, is anyone listening? Is is, is this helping anyone, you know, or not? So it's great uh, when you just, you know, send an email or something like that or a text and just say, hey, you know, I listen to the the podcast and thanks for for doing that. So today what I wanted to do, I'm going to address it from a, a, not a different perspective, but something that I'm kind of running into quite a bit and I'm not surprised. Uh, usually when you have times like this, usually I get spikes because during the holidays, cause that's when, you know, you're around family and different type of things come up. Um, but usually either when there's more stressors or right now, you know, we have the coronavirus that's going on. What happens is often we're spending more time. So as survivors, you might be spending more time with significant others, spouses, uh, relatives, family, partners, girlfriends, boyfriends, um, and those that love those that are sexy abuse are like, what's going on? Like either where did this come from or you're really starting to notice it now where it's more pronounced because we're in the same space more. So instead of, you know, going to work for whatever, eight or 12 hours, you're in that same space with the person, and now you're really starting to, to notice things. And so what I want to do is I want to just talk a little bit from the perspective for those of you that actually love us, okay? When I mean love us as loving those that have been sexually abused, those men have been sexually abused. And I just want to share some things with you. So in many cases, and not all, you know, is that you want to be supportive but you really don't understand. You're like, what in the world is going on? I, I'm not really, I'm not really getting this. And it's not that they didn't know whatever before, or they can't really 
they can't really understand, but maybe just some of the behaviors and the attitudes of us as the men who have been sexually abused are just racking your brain. Okay, so you're trying to figure out what's what's going on, where's this coming from? So today on the podcast, what I want to do, I just want to try to attempt to address some, actually, I'm going to give a specific scenario because this one was sent to me in email and we're going to talk about um, that and so but there'll be more so don't worry if you sent me email you're like oh you know he didn't talk about my uh don't worry um i've got time so we'll try and cover them in the podcast so realize that um since i'm not personally like coaching and working with you that i don't have most of the details okay but i'm going to try and to um you know access or assess and share my own experience as a survivor and the countless men that i've coached over the years to reflect on things and to consider things maybe that we might be dealing with or thinking about that you're like okay oh maybe that makes a little bit more sense now understanding where that's coming from (coughs) now I'm not going to censor this I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there you guys know that's that's me Um, tactfully but still I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there so this is uh, what came to me this was the situation in the email so the person says I've been with John for seven years, and it seems that we have a good relationship, but there feels like a part of him that is off limits to me. Yet someone else seems to him, or someone yet someone else, <clears throat> he seems to be quite open. I don't get it, I don't understand it, and I'm a little bit frustrated. All right, here we here we go. <clears throat> Okay, so let me just let me just say this, right? So first of all, I just have to say, if you've never experienced sexual abuse, you need to realize that this experience leaves marks on one's life. Okay, just 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 get that into kind of your your thinking going forward that it leaves, if you want to say marks on you, it becomes part of, of who you are. So dealing with the male survivor of sexual abuse, there might be um, many who have many issues. There might be some who have few issues. But I'm going to tell you one of the most significant ones that I notice when we're talking about issues, and this person that you love might be dealing with this, is the issue of trust. Now, that sounds totally crazy because you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm in a committed relationship with this person. Well, of course you know, there has to be some trust there. So, you know, what's lacking? What's going on? Well, for us as survivors, I'm just going to say that it seems sometimes to be extreme on one end of the spectrum or on the other end. So I noticed, and I'm I'm using myself as an example here, uh, that either we tend to trust no one or we tend to trust everyone right so there's none of that middle i'm gonna say middle ground uh whatever boundary stuff going on and oftentimes what i find especially when i'm talking with the other guys and working with the other guys we can vacillate between those two extremes okay so i remember when we when we talked about this and we often talk about this at our safe place in space and hbm weekend retreats and so uh, many of us we experience this extreme vacillation because we said it's based on trust. And so it looks like this 
when uh, we felt connection with anyone. And so it would go to the total opposite end of the range where it's almost like you're being naive. And so you're not thinking about, you know, putting healthy boundaries in place. No, those different type of things. It's just like the person is there. There just seems to be some type of connection. And so whoosh, your trust just totally goes right over to that end. And so you dive right in and it's like you're being naive and you're just being totally accepting. And in many of those cases, what happens oftentimes is we're re-traumatized or we're hurt again because we believed in that person. We trusted that person. And either that person did something that now we feel that we can't trust them, you know, again. Or in some cases, what happened, we had this idealized perspective in our head, what this was going to look like. And it didn't look like that. And so then now the trust, of course, is withdrawn. And so we go to the total opposite side. You know, uh, many in the groups, uh, especially when we're there and we're talking, they, they would notice and they said that they would have this inkling, especially for men who were like father figures, older males, or brother, I'm going to call it brother material. And we noticed that specifically for the men that I've worked with oftentimes is, especially if the sexual abuse took place by another male, okay, gender. And so if you want to call it whatever, there's that something we're trying to make up for in that whole male psyche realm of, of brother, whatever it's there. And then yet at other times, we vacillate towards the other side of actually pushing people away, people that are actually trying to reach out and help. And so for me, even in reaching out, I mean, through this podcast, through the website and being a survivor and having that experience, I realize that many men have a difficult time trusting. And I realize that they're not going to answer the call to coach. They're not going to answer the call to attend a workshop, even though deep inside they want to. But there is an issue of trust. And so that's, you know, one of the reasons I always ask anyone, you know, who's going to work with me, who's going to collaborate with me, at least to go to the to the website, go through stage zero, um, listen to the podcast so you can learn and, and listen and hear my heart. Right. And that's that's the hardest thing, because that's what you have to have to hear. And oftentimes, you know, um, guys, when they either come to the workshops and stuff and I just like, OK, you got here, you got here. And they're like, yeah, it was really hard. It was really difficult for me to get on that plane, whatever, and come to the retreat or start working with you online. And so I'm like, OK, but so, you know, where did you get the courage? And they're like, well, when I listened to the podcast, I heard your heart and said, so information is great. But they're like, I heard your heart. And so that's what I need you to encourage you to do. Those survivors out there uh, is to hear that heart. So, okay, so the person who sent kind of that scenario, I'm just going to give you a name. It could be Jenny, it could be Harold, whatever, whoever it is. This is the first thing I want you to, I'm going to ask you to consider. <coughs> so first of all, if you consider yourself to be a loving person and you're trying your best to help John, and I say that for this reason, because I've encountered cases where where the person actually had a toxic controlling issues of their own. 
which then, you know, is going to result simply in them just reintroducing or introducing more abuse and more trauma into the survivor's life. But if that's not you, okay, if that's not you, then realize that this is not personal. When we're talking about this trust issue, when we're talking about vacillating between the extremes, the, the two, two spectrums, realize that it's not personal. You know, I coached an, an individual and a male survivor, and he, he just really had a hard time. He couldn't be sexually intimate because it, it would freak him out. And so he started coaching with me, and this was after uh, four years. He had been working with a licensed therapist. But then he's like, okay, let me try, let me try the coaching thing. And so the, lacks of, uh, the lack of sexual intimacy was causing his partner to doubt their own attractiveness and, and being a desirable partner. And so not understanding this, the partner became um, retaliatory or, or retributive and so then when the person did want to be sexually in intimate, then they would withhold that, okay, which then, of course, would cause more hurt. And then the survivor, you know, felt, well, my goodness, it, <laughs> he, I can't, there's no way I can even be sexually intimate. And so then that person then went outside of their relationship to seek that sexual intimacy. So I remember in, in the coaching session with him, uh, so what I did was I just simply shared with him one of my numerous experiences in working through the, the fear, um, fear of trust, the fear of abandonment, um, even my stages like uh, becoming clingy and then becoming not clingy, <laughs> uh, senses of, of, of loneliness and aloneness, you know, although in a relationship with another person and, ex and explaining how in my mind that I just felt different from everyone else. Okay, that was going on. And he's like, yeah, he's like, that's it. That's totally, he's like, man, you get me. Okay, well, it's just because I've had an experience and we kind of vibed whatever on that, on that scenario or situation. So then as I worked with him, so we started to develop some, some strategies. So we discussed some issues that would help him um, to first create more trust, to be a little bit more vulnerable and to show some more transparency with the person that he was in the relationship with, but then also making sure that we're learning how to build those healthy boundaries. And so it was like, you know, about, about two months later, then he started actually being sexually intimate again uh, with, with that partner who was in that relationship with him. And so each person and couple, of course, is different. Okay. So the person who sent me that question, like, okay, well, we'll just go out and do that. Okay, each person is different, right? And so that's why I get to work with them individually. However, when we are open enough to allow ourselves to share and to collaborate, then oftentimes it starts moving us in the direction that we want to be moved into. Now, let me get this out there, of course, before we run out of time. Man, the time just goes by, goes by so fast. But, you know, the research says that most average people will listen to a podcast 20, 25 minutes. So I don't I try not to push it too much. All right. So let me kind of get this out here before we before we run out of time. First of all, um, don't worry. OK, so there will be a couple of more podcasts. So I'm going to talk about more things with the questions and things that came in. But I really need to get this out there for those of you who love 
us, male survivors are in relationships with us, maybe to possibly help you to understand a little bit more. You know, I remember when I started consciously building my safe family. And that simply means coming from a toxic family. The whole idea of that blood is thicker than water. Uh, for me, that was a crock. Okay. So that adage had been tested and proved for me not to be true. It wasn't that true for me. And so I stepped out with the mission to build a healthy family, one that was built on boundaries, one that was built on transparency, one that was built on vulnerability, one that was built on support, one that was built upon encouragement, one that was built upon acceptance, and one that was non-judgmental. And what I mean by non-judgmental doesn't mean that you don't have discretion or anything like that, but it means from a point of not always condemning. Okay, that's what I mean when I'm talking about non-judgmental. Now, if you're asking, well, okay, okay, so Thomas, you know, did you did you need to do that? Okay. You know, I remember someone, and they were kind of poking a little fun at me, and they were saying, man, you're like a 33-year-old kid. <laughs> I remember this. And so, which was one of the reasons um when I even think about it, that, you know, my, my friends, kids and stuff, they always enjoyed me coming over because I had no problem running around, playing with toys, um, you know, being part of their imaginary world with them. And that's because I allowed myself to partially experience what had been stolen from me. And so what I mean, the theft of childhood, the theft of my childhood. So those of you that love us, you need to realize, and I'm going to say for myself, and even I'm going to say millions of other survivors out there of childhood sexual abuse, that we may not have really had a childhood, that it was stolen from us through the abuse. So, for example, okay, so in the past, when you would ask me about my childhood, I could tell you about my childhood probably up to about age six, and then not much until age 15. So that space or that gap in between where most of the abuse took place. Why? Because my brain was in survival mode all those years of the abuse. So think about the person that you you love. Okay, if they were sexually, uh, they've been sexually abused, their brain is in survival mode during those periods. So mentally, this is the way I think of it. Mentally, it would be like handing your six-year-old child a backpack and you're going to give them a few items and then you're going to push them out the door and you're going to say, okay, you're a big boy. You're a man now. So go out and learn to fend make a, and make a living for yourself. Okay. So now just think about that. You're five, six, seven, eight, nine years. That seems absurd, doesn't it? But in essence, developmentally wise, that's what's going on. So I want you to think about this. The survivor that you loved while other children were playing and being kids, he's dealing with adult issues like survival, attachment syndrome, um, trust issues, betrayal, distinguishing safe and unsafe people, healthy and unhealthy boundaries. And as his brain, his, his little brain is nowhere near 
age 25, which we know is to be the age where we consider the male brain to actually be fully developed. And so his brain is being rewired. It's being resurgated. It's being altered on a physiological and a psychological basis. Those are the men that many of you love. Now, I'm really going to throw you for for a little bit of a loop here. Now, imagine two individuals coming together with similar experiences to form an intimate relationship. Ooh, okay. Not impossible. Okay. It's not impossible because I've seen it, but it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of work from each individual and the male survivor. He's going to have to work on his stuff. He's going to have to work on his pieces and each person. Then of course they can support and encourage each other, but the survivor must want to seek the freedom to work through it. And sometimes that's frustrating because as the, the symptoms we're starting to, to see them, they start to manifest more the dysfunctional behaviors and habits. And as you, the person who loves him, you're like, man, why doesn't this person just go get help? And oftentimes, like you said, there's the trust there. There's the fear there, maybe fear of abandonment, those different type of things. And so it's difficult. And all you can do is really support and encourage. But let me tell you, that does go a long way. Because I'm going to tell you that most of the guys who actually work with me or come to the the weekend retreats and, and really get going on this stuff. And then you get to hear them on the radio. and They're like, wow, they've done so much. And wow, their lives have changed. The reason their lives have changed because there was that person who loved them in the background who supported them and say, hey, you know what? Have you listened to this podcast? Have you? Right. And they're the ones that are usually the impetus toward the guys actually even coming and starting to work on the things. Okay. Because they because they love them. So I'm going to be honest with you from one survivor to another. You know what? I enjoy I enjoy working with survivors who want and are motivated to get more out of life than the hand they were dealt from the childhood that was stolen. Right. So then, you know, so when people say, hey, you know what, Thomas, you play and enjoy yourself like you're a child. And I said, you know, yep, thank you. Because I can't get back what was stolen from me, that, that childhood, but I can reclaim pieces of it. And to me, that's what it's, what it's about. We're talking about safe places for, for men and HBM. We're trying to just reclaim some of those pieces so that we continue to move forward. Because I can't go back in time and relieve it. You can't take me back, you know, to age six, whatever, and then allow me to live from age six to, to 15. Okay, unless someone invents a time machine, uh, can't do that. Okay, but I can reclaim some of those pieces in the present, in the present now. Now I want to give you guys one more thing just to, to to think about. I know I only have two minutes here, and it's going to take me a little bit. So please just indulge with me, just a little bit here. So I want you to think about when we talk about the person that you love, that survivor. I just want you to think about some of the stages when we talk about that lost childhood and what's going on for that person. And maybe this will will help. So first of all, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about that little that little boy. So that little boy maybe not being encouraged, not being supported. And so someone comes into this little boy's 
life. Let's just say the abuser, the aggressor. And so the abuser, the aggressor, is the person who's whatever showing this attention, love that this child deserves but is not getting. Maybe that person is supplying that. And so now let's just say that little boy is attracted to the uh, aggressor, okay? Not in the sexual sense, in a sense of love, admiration, all the things that a child should be receiving but isn't. Maybe they're neglected and feel unwanted. So now someone comes into their lives and makes them feel important, okay? And so I call that the attraction to that, okay? So then I want you to think about the second stage. So now this little this adult, this seduces this, this child. And so let's just say that child relishes the attention because the attention makes this person feel special. It could be the gifts, doing special things, whatever with that person makes them feel special. Now, of course, the adult is actually grooming the child, but just think about what's going on from the child from their perspective. So now they're special, okay? Whatever it could be special relationship, it could be this relationship that I have with my brother, it could be sister, it could be, you know, father, mother, whoever the, the abuser is. But now the child feels like they're really special. And so what happens, though, is now the adult takes advantage of that, the power differential that we've talked about. And now they start, of course, abusing that child. So now think about this from the little brain. So what, what is the little brain of child's going to do? Well, the next stage is the brain's just going to try and adapt to the situation because that's the way that we're wired, like we said, to survive. And so even though that child might hate what's being done to him, so whatever, it could be fondling, kissing, um, intercourse, whatever, being touched, whatever it is, but the little brain is trying to adapt to the situation. This is where many of the different things come in, what we call disassociation. And you can talk about those, uh, listen to those in some of the other podcasts. But I'm just trying to give you that. All right. So now just think this little brain becomes used to this, it adapts to the situation, right? And so it's learning, even though the little brain's like, oh, I can't take this. This is unbearable. Whatever. It's wrong. It's right. It's, and of course, it hasn't developed, but it's just trying to adapt the best that it can. Now let's say the abuse ends, and so the aggressor is stopped for whatever reason. Now I just want you to think about this in the little brain of the, the boy of the child. And so now what happens that the attention is taken away, even though it was ab abusive? Now what happens when the little child is no longer special? What is the child going through? What is the child dealing with? See, this is why I said when you think about this and people say, oh, you're acting like a child. I'm like, yeah, because from age six to 15, look at the stuff that I'm dealing with. Then my little brain is actually trying to figure out. And we all know that children oftentimes blame themselves for things like parents. You know, we have divorce and we have issues. As little kids, we think we're the center of the world, right? And so everything kind of revolves around us. And so when it goes wrong, we think oftentimes that maybe we are the, the reason that things are going bad with the adults. And so then that kind of throws us into the stage of thinking, well, what, why doesn't anyone love me? What did I do wrong? And now we've got all this guilt and shame and all those different type of things that this little child now has to deal with who's been sexy abused.
All right. I know it's like, oh, to end on a note, <laughs> end on a note like that. But the reason I wanted to make sure that I get that in for those of you that who love us and those of you that have relationships with us and, and, and those of you, first of all, I just want to commend you. Thank you for being there for us. Thank you for loving us. Realize there are times we we have issues and stuff and there are going to be things that you don't understand. Now, you know what I always say? That's never a reason because of what we've gone through for us to mistreat other people. But realize sometimes people will. And you know what? I'm giving you permission. Call us out on it. Call us out on it. Because sometimes maybe we don't even realize it. And we need to we need to be we need to be called out. All right, guys, I hope that helps. And like I said, there'll there'll be more coming because I'm going to try to answer the questions, all the questions and things that came in. But hey, survivors, first of all, I want you to realize I always said this, that you are not alone. And there is someone out here who has experienced it, maybe who can understand, who can have empathy for some of the things that you're dealing with. You need to step out you've got to reach out you've got to send that that email or talk to, to someone or you've got to start on the path and those of you that love us just continue please to encourage us encourage that person to to step out on that path support them you don't have to be their therapist and I always tell people that it's it's not your job to whatever to to be their therapist their coach or whatever but you can be there supporting them and encouraging them to make those step forwards. And what I love about it, I'm going to say at least with the people that I get to get to work with, I love to see the transformation and I love to, to see the change. And I even love it even more when those people start to become part of my consciously built family, because then that's exactly what it becomes family. All right, guys, until the next one. Keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey, you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head